0: Hello and welcome to the official podcast of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. Every six months, ASIC releases an overview of its enforcement outcomes, wrapping up its activity to ensure a fair, strong and efficient financial system for Australians. I'm Louise Tapsell and today I'm joined by ASIC's Deputy Chair, Daniel Crennan QC, who is going to take me through the highlights of the biannual report. Dan, getting straight to it, in your forward in the latest report, you mentioned ASIC's Office of Enforcement. Could you give us a quick overview of what that is?
1: Uh, Thank you, Louise. The Office of Enforcement um, is a functionally separate office comprising our two major enforcement teams and within which there are a number of different teams, which is Markets Enforcement and Financial Services Enforcement. Uh, The idea of the Office of Enforcement arose from a review that we undertook internally last year um, which recognised that uh, to improve and uh, to expand our enforcement activities um, we should explore uh, the establishment of an Office of Enforcement. Um, and part of that Office of Enforcement is to concentrate upon uniformity within the office itself, um, flexibility within those officers that work for the Office of Enforcement, uh, to respond to and um, manage uh, the misconduct that the Royal Commission obviously has focused on and more broadly that we are aware of uh, in an expedited and efficient manner. Our enforcement work has a core focus on deterrence, public denunciation and punishment, and we continue to pursue that approach, uh, adopting our why not litigate strategies. Um, The Office of Enforcement is, uh, for example, uh, investigating matters referred to ASIC by the Royal Commission, which includes 13 referral matters and a number of case studies. Uh, We are currently investigating and assessing 30 of the case studies. Uh, that came to light during the Royal Commission hearings and of course there are matters before the court relating to the Royal Commission hearings such as the Dover-McMaster matter and the NAB-Nullis fees for no services matter.
0: And Dan how are you hoping the Office of Enforcement will strengthen ASIC's enforcement effectiveness?
1: It will have a single enforcement strategy for ASIC which is the first time that that has taken place as far as I understand it Um, We'll have strengthened governance structures across all of ASIC's enforcement functions. Uh, Importantly, collective prioritisation and accountability for delivery of the most strategically important enforcement matters across ASIC. And as I have referred to earlier, flexibility in resource allocation across specialist enforcement teams within the Office of Enforcement to respond effectively and efficiently. In other words, with accommodation for the specialties which exist both within enforcement and in the broader ASIC, uh, and a um, well-disciplined and uh, well-recognised ha- hierarchy of accountability and decision-making, the Office of Enforcement um, will be a well-run coherent uh, office that will be able to effectively and expeditiously respond to misconduct when it takes place and comes to our attention.
0: And the Office of Enforcement is expanding as well after the government announced $404 million in funding for ASIC over four years.
1: Uh, Yes, that's correct. Um, This will allow us to recruit more uh, enforcement officers and they may be analysts, investigators and lawyers and give us more capacity to investigate and where necessary uh, litigate instances of misconduct. Um, I should say that the Office of Enforcement with its increased budget will use uh, external resources, perhaps more so than it has in the past, particularly uh, members of the bar to provide advice as we conduct our investigations and in the pre-litigation process. Um, And that I think will also uh, bring us into line with some of our peers Uh, As we expand our operations, we will expand both internally and also expand our use of external resources with our um, better budget.
0: Now, Dan, you mentioned the Royal Commission. One of the case studies in the enforcement update relates to documents sought by ASIC from Clayton Utes. These documents were interview notes of AMP staff regarding fees for no service. This conduct was considered in the Royal Commission in April 2018.
1: Yes, Louise, this was a success for ASIC. Uh, we did request the interview notes. Um, there was a claim of legal professional privilege. Uh, we disputed the claim and commenced proceedings in the Federal Court, uh, seeking that AMP and Clayton Utes um, provide the documents, uh, and the legal professional privilege claim was not um, upheld That case um, resulted in AMP and Clayton Utes uh, voluntarily uh, providing those documents uh, and the hearing itself did not take place. Now I've spoken publicly about this in the past. Um, Of course legal professional privilege is a substantive right and there are many other rights that parties can invoke uh, and rely on in the course of litigation. Um, It is certainly not the agency's position that we expect parties uh, that that are regulated by us and are involved in litigation with us to abandon in any sense their rights. However, we do expect um, parties to litigation with us to adopt pragmatic approaches such that claims of legal professional privilege and other interlocutory um, applications or rights sought to be invoked Um, are looked at through a pragmatic prism uh, such that they do not in any way stultify litigation and do not in in any way um, result in long drawn out litigation with very little alteration of the result. For example with legal professional privilege those claims must be properly made, the documents over which the privilege is claimed must be properly analysed, I'm not suggesting for a second that in this case or any other particular cases they weren't, Um, but in in order for the regulator to do its job properly and to bring certainty as to these disputes, that is litigation against the regulated entities, and we as a regulator and the broader community see some positive outcomes from the Royal Commission and that the legacy cases that that will be subject to litigation over the next couple of years will be dealt with in an expeditious and pragmatic way, both by the regulator and also by the parties to that litigation.
0: And our updates on fees for no service are ongoing. Keep an eye on the ASIC website or sign up to receive our media releases. Dan, moving on now to some of the criminal charges outlined in the report, one of which is ASIC's case against Gabriel Narkel. He was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment.
1: Uh, Yes, thank you, Louise. It's a very significant, significant term of imprisonment. Um, This was a case where a financial advisor stole his client's funds, used those funds for his own benefit. He advised his clients to set up self-managed superannuation funds and then effectively lied to them, losing over $5 million of his client's money.
0: And ASIC had a strong case against Mr. Narkel um, who ended up pleading guilty.
1: Uh, Yes, he did. Um, The cases that we have conducted in the past uh, six months, and in fact, past 12 months, uh, which were criminal cases, they are obviously conducted through the CDPP and by the CDPP. um, And they have resulted in a number of uh, uh, terms of imprisonment, some arising from guilty pleas and some arising from jury trials. In this circumstance, it was a guilty plea, Uh, and this person was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment with a non-parole period of seven years. That's a very good outcome for the team uh, that investigated this matter and who worked tirelessly on that investigation. It's a case that ASIC pursued, not just because of the amount involved, but because of the deception and the effect that the lack of trust can have on our financial markets and services. Mr. Narkel had clients who trusted him with their savings and he abused that trust.
0: Another case against an individual which personally I found very interesting was ASIC's case against hacker Stephen Oakes. So he hacked into the private computer network of Melbourne-based publisher Port Phillip Publishing. He used the inside information of the publishers buy recommendations before the reports were published. He then made profits from selling the shares soon after the reports were published.
1: Yes, Louise, um and surprised that it piqued your and perhaps others' interest, uh, it was the first case of this kind that ASIC has run. Mr. Oakes was sentenced to three years' imprisonment with a minimum of 18 months to serve and a further 18 months' good behaviour. This is just one of the cases at ASIC in their various stages that uh, do involve cyber related offending. Uh, these are often very sophisticated crimes, and we encourage all entities operating in Australia's financial markets to look to improve their cyber resilience and therefore to protect themselves and the citizens of this country.
0: A podcast on ASIC's case against Stephen Oakes is also available on our website where you can hear from ASIC investigators on how they discovered his hacking of Port Phillip Publishing and built the case against Stephen Oakes. Dan, before we finish up, tell us about ASIC's civil penalty case in the federal court against Vocation Limited, currently in liquidation.
1: Uh, Thanks Louise. Uh, ASIC alleged and the court found that vocation made misleading and deceptive statements to the ASX and failed to meet its continuous disclosure obligations by not disclosing to the market the actions taken by the Victorian Department of Education and Early Childhood Development to suspend all payments to vocation. This was a very important case for ASIC as we concentrate on accurate market disclosures If statements mislead or withhold information from the market, this does affect a risk to the integrity of the market overall. Uh, The court will hear submissions on the appropriate penalties, uh, and uh, we hope to have that decision soon. We are also expecting the federal court to make orders as to penalties in ASIC's case against Westpac for its breaches of the financial services best interest laws. This was another instance in which admissions of contravention were made. And as I said earlier, uh, in appropriate circumstances, when large entities make admissions of contraventions, that certainly does result in a much curtailed litigation process whereby um, the entities and the regulator can move to the penalty phase uh, and are open to um, heatedly disagree with each other as to what penalties are appropriate. but in any event, the court ultimately determines the level of penalties. We'll also see, and any other orders I should say, we also uh, see sentencing um, against, for example, uh, Mr Silver and Mr Jung, um, who have been convicted of fraud, uh, and we'll uh, hear of those sentences in short order, as well as a court decision in our penalty, civil penalty case against Dover Financial Services, which is currently reserved. As to liability, uh, it will be an eventful next six months as ASIC continues to pursue its why not litigate approach. And I can say that we will be issuing a number of cases arising from or relating to the Royal Commission uh, as we have applied our resources both internally and externally um, to expedite those and many other cases, such that in the next six to 12 months we will certainly see uh, a significant increase in the amount of cases investigated and therefore or thereby in issued uh, uh, and litigation taking place as to just to go back to the report for a moment or the update for a moment the primary uh, indicium or indicator of our shift to a more litigation orientated agency particularly in terms of um, the office of enforcement Uh, can be seen uh, in, for example, the increase in investigations in the wealth management part of enforcement, enforcement, which is by 216% over the last six months, uh, and the increase in enforcement investigations involving the big banks, and the big six as we call them, by 51%. Um, Obviously, those investigations do take time uh, and will manifest either in litigation or not um, in the next six to 12 months, one would hope, uh, and thereby, after, the, after, for example, the next 12 months, we should be able to look back um, at ASICs enforcement activities and be able to see in a public way um, the result of those investigations, because they will culminate in many instances, no doubt, in actual litigation, which is able to be um, perceived by the outside world.
0: Dan, thanks for taking us through ASIC's January to June 2019 enforcement update. You can read the full report on the ASIC website by heading to About ASIC and finding ASIC's enforcement outcomes. If you have feedback for us on this podcast, send us a tweet to ASIC Media. We'd love to hear from you.